Golay presents Recorded History with the RecordHub.com. 100% Irish and direct to your door. What is up, Recorded History buffs, and welcome to Recorded History with the RecordHub.com. I'm your host, Ed Smith, and this is our weekly chance for those who, like me, are incredibly musically nosy to hear about the life and times of well-known and loved guests through the three records that have come to soundtrack their important times and moments. So, who do we have this week? Well, it's the turn of pop star, country queen, and shoe-loving Una Healy. Una joined me from her home down in Thurlis, and she really was just so real and open about her beginnings down there and how her career as a musician, songwriter, pop and country star has progressed from when she first picked up a guitar at the age of 12. Now, I knew I'd like Una the moment I heard her brilliant WhatsApp voice note where she was passing on her album choices. She's super smart and super sound, and it's fair to say she loves her as strong female icon. So here it is, the recorded history of Una Healy. Hello and welcome to Recorded History, Una Healy. Thank you so much. Hello, Ed. How are you? I'm very well. You know, uh, I have to say, of all the messages, this is my 14th or 15th. Or I can't remember what number episode this is. And usually we'll contact the guest directly or through their record label. And I'll just get a quick email in reply to say, these are my three albums. Thank you. Uh, but I got your voice note that you sent Amy. And I could have just done, I could have just done the episode on the voice note. It was absolutely joyous. I love a voice note. Yeah, because um, you went into great detail and I love the fact that I can hear you shuffling through your CDs in the background. <laughs> I didn't know she was actually going to forward that to you. I hope no, no, it's fine. I, I, hope, I, I hope it didn't get her into trouble, but I just thought it was so lovely because uh, the great thing about this podcast is, as I've discovered, this is something I've learned as I've only started it, is that when you ask somebody to go through the three albums that they think, you know, mark are the three maybe significant turning points in their lives. It's not easy, is it? No, it's really hard. And actually, literally, I was trying to think of the archives in my head, but out the back in the shed, I've put all my CDs into like containers, storage. Yeah. And they're like nearly all of them are, I could talk about them all really because they've all significance in my life and like mark times and you yeah. know, bring back memories and, and I could tell a story about them all. So to pick three, oh. you know, it's so tough. But it's I was try, I tried to find three that like were well, a start, a middle and not today. Actually, they're still um, the latest one is actually from 2000 and uh, early 2000s. So, yeah, um, but they all they're all they all inspired my music. So my first pick is um, I believe it's 1986. I was five years old and it was Madonna's album True Blue and the reason I picked this one I did have her album before that as well Material Girl but the the True Blue album was the one that me and my sister we listened to it to death literally yeah. like the tape kept, kept getting broken and having to fix it do you remember when tapes you have to like oh, wind them up with the, with the pen in or the pencil yeah um, and then like the insert in there that like had all the lyrics like I remember like opening it out and have to stick it with tape it turned yellow from all the tape you know the sellotape when it turns yellow oh and I just it just reminds me so much of like being in the in the kitchen like we lived um, my dad 
was a GP, a local GP in Thurlis. And uh, we actually all lived in the same house as his surgery. And literally right next door to his surgery, when he was probably seeing patients, me and my sister after school would be in there listening to pop music, like blaring yeah. it. Yeah, she, she, she was just like, yeah, an icon, like even back then. And um, like I would listen to the True Blue, Lali Slabonita, Papa Don't Preach. Those kind of songs yeah. stick out to me most. But like... Um, Look at the track with an album like here. that. It, it opens, yeah, it opens with Papa Don't Preach. What an opening yeah. track. I know. Like some of them now, I have to say, I did forward through because back then when it was a tape recorder, you'd have to like physically press forward, yeah. you know, and I'd forward through to, to my favourite songs. But it was just the one album that I remember, you know, my love for pop music where it all began and dressing up as Madonna and starting my dance routines. I used to make up little dance routines um, yeah. when I was a child with my cousins and recording myself into the tape, you know, singing along. So it just, yeah, it just reminds me of my first uh, album that I loved and yeah, listened to. And I think it's yeah. an interesting album for Madonna, actually, because this is her third album, as you say, it was Like a Virgin and then Material Girl. But looking mm. back on, on True Blue, this is the one that really kind of rocketed her into the yeah. stratosphere. She joined the big three then in 86, really with Prince and Michael Jackson. There was the three of them at the top. Oh, and Michael Jackson time. as well. I did have like his bad album. I remember yeah. that was a quite an iconic album for me too with learning yeah. But all she, the, yeah. I, I think <laughs> she, uh, she was kind of accused at the time and this is something that she gets, she has gotten all her career as being kind of I suppose slightly contrived and slightly, uh, she was showing her ambitions in this record in trying to appeal to all, you know, trying to appeal to the critics and then trying to maintain her image as being a kind of a rebel as well as that. And like the opening track was Papa Don't Preach was hugely controversial at the time. And I remember the video for this very vividly as well. You're probably too young to remember MTUSA on a Sunday with Vincent Hanley was a show that was on for three hours on a Sunday evening and it just showed videos. It was pre-MTV and around that. And it was the mm. staple diet for anyone specifically growing up in the country in two channel land. It was like opening up the wardrobe in Narnia, you'd see all these mm. colours. and But I remember the video for Papa Don't Breach particularly being a very powerful one. If you were to pick one favourite song from the album to this day, what would it be? I used to love the video for uh, Lali Slabonita as yeah. well. Like, yeah, with the dancing and when she was in that dress and I just thought she looked gorgeous and she was like, it was just, she was so young. I don't remember a lot of it. And I think that a lot of like the statements she might have been making and how controversial it was and all of that as a child yeah, completely so. yeah, yeah, yeah. went over my head. I didn't, I wouldn't have realised any of that. I just thought it was amazing and really cool. Yeah. And we also used to like dress, try to dress up to be like her and everything, you she know. She was so iconic <laughs> then, wasn't she? Yeah, yeah she was so to, iconic. Yeah, even like a virgin video with the, the lace gloves and everything. The gloves. Yeah. And we used to back home our hair to be like her and everything. Can you tell me now, growing up in Thurlis, was yours a musical house then? And mm. Was there much, yeah, so there many records lying around? There was a lot because you see my... My mother's side of the family, her brother is Declan Ernie, my uncle. So yes. country music was played a lot in the house. And at the time, there was a lot of pilot stations. So my uncle would have been played on a lot of them. A lot of the local radio as well played the country and Irish music. So yeah. that's the kind of music that was on when my mother was listening to music. So I obviously it was filtered through to me that way. Um, but then in my own time, I wanted to listen to pop, like yeah. pop music was what I personally loved. But obviously that influenced me too, the country. And you'll, you'll see it in my music that I've released over the years. There is a huge uh, country influence there too. But it was that side of the family, my my mother and how I got into music um, myself too, because she used to play guitar and then she passed me down her guitar when I was 12 and she taught me the first few chords. Wow. And 
then that's when I just started writing music. I was just 12. Even at that young age, you went straight into writing your own material. Yeah. Wow. Like as a young child, I, I was always writing little jingles to myself, just like, you know, these little little songs, silly ones. Like, um, But when I was 12 and I could play a few chords, the first song I wrote kind of delved straight into like the emotional stuff. My grandfather passed away and I wrote a song called I Miss You. Um, and then all throughout my teens, I was writing um, songs for my friends about relationships they were in, ones that I, you know, people, if I fancy them, I write a song about it or if they broke my heart, I wrote a song about it. And just even actually about being in school, if there was someone being mean to me, I wrote a song about that, you know. So um, at that age, it was re- really an outlet for you to express yeah, your, I found your it was. emotions and your troubles. Yeah, like I had a, a dictaphone next to my bed and my pad um, for a notepad. And I was just like writing sort of, like kind of like poetry, but always would rhyme to be like a song. And it was more kind of the chords that I could progressions that I was learning on the guitar would like, right, that sounds like a nice, ooh, that sounds like a nice chorus or a hook. Um, and that's kind of, yeah. So I'd always like record my ideas into the dictaphone and I composed all my songs with just uh, the guitar, actually, just whatever melodies would come into my head. And then I put them with the lyrics. Um, and then I, I guess like I was encouraged in school with my songwriting because my music teacher, she was like, yeah, no, you're actually quite good at this. Um, So when I did music in school, she was like, you can actually uh, do 50% of your exams uh, practical. Uh, And so I was like, okay, so I could sing. And I sang sang my own songs, like my own original compositions for my junior and my leave insert. And uh, they were the two subjects I got an A in. So (laughs) I was delighted with myself. And I'd always sing at the open days in school, like perform for the parents that were coming into school mm. um, and just like at any any opportunity, I was always there with the guitar. So everyone sort of knew it, that it was something that I was going to do further down the line. And what were um, your teen years like in Thurless then? How would you describe them? I had a great childhood and, you know, that's why I look back on the 90s, 80s, 90s. It's like such a, a special time because growing up here, I'm actually back living in Thurless again. Oh, yeah, <laughs> it's like seeing history repeat itself <laughs> with my kids. They're again, they're, my, my daughter's in the press. Oh my God. Um, yeah. Yeah. But um, I had a great, a great childhood and, you know, friends that I still have to this day that went to school with me. And we'd always reminisce thinking about the times of, you know, going out and going to Hayes Hotel. And, and the rag at the time was like the nightclub that everyone used to go all over Tipperary. Busloads would go to the rag. And I wrote a load of my songs from my, my nights out in the rag, actually. It was sort of uh, around 17, 18 that I, um, I joined a band here in Thurless called Unreal with four guys. And we would sing like in the pubs around town and in Hayes' hotel. And I was sort of doing that at weekends when I started college. Um, But I always knew at the back of my mind, I think this is moving into my second album that I should probably start talking about. We'll get into your second choice, Una, for your recorded history record two. It's 1996. We're slap bang in the middle Mm. of the 90s now. What a choice. What is it? Oh, Mm. like, look. There Can you is. see there? There, yeah. I still have it. There she is. Cheryl, Cheryl Crow, my idol. Yeah. She is my number one idol of, of all time. And I actually remember being 12 years old uh, when I was watching her singing All I Want to Do um, with her guitar. And I had just started playing guitar at the time. And I just thought she looked so cool and loved that song so much. That was where I felt, oh, this is what I, that's what I want to do. I want to be her when I grow up, you know. Um, and then this album, 
uh, it was the first one that I listened to over and over and over again. And it really inspired me so much in my writing as well, because she was I loved her lyrics and her melodies and the coolness of it, because it's sort of it's I would say it's not so much as country. It's a little bit country, but it's it's quite rock. Yeah, it's, it's a real, uh, I suppose, smorgasbord or it's her second album. Mm. She'd had massive success with All I Want to Do with the previous album, but she very much struck out in her own with the second album. She called it obviously Cheryl Crow. That, I think that says a lot as well. Mm. It's like, this is me. This is more me now. I'm kind of, I'm going to do my own thing, my own songwriting, create my own sound. It's kind of a bluesy, scuzzy, mm. alt rock country. There's a bit of the Stones in here, but it's very much her own record as well. And I, you know, she pretty much wrote every song. I think one or two that she co-wrote on it. Mm. Uh, and one of the songs uh, that went on to be covered actually, Redemption Day, Johnny Cash, the great honor, one of the greatest honors in music is to be covered by Johnny Cash before he died. And he did a great version of Redemption Day. But so this had a massive impact on you. So you would have been around 15, 16 then with this. Yeah. Moment. So I was really getting into my songwriting at this stage. And I remember actually being 15 years old and I wrote um, a song called Raider Off My Sleep. Um, I'll speak about that in a little bit. But actually at the time when you're writing songs, I was told, right, you need to write the songs, type them out and uh, put them in a, a, an envelope and then send them register posts to yourself. Copyright them as it are. Seek to copyright them. So that was <laughs> the way you did it. I still have scripts. Yeah. Yeah. I they're still I still have them all. You do not. They're all they're all in boxes out there as proof that I, I wrote them in case anyone wants to steal them. <laughs> and do you ever go back and look at the lyrics now and yeah. are you attempted to record any of them again? Well the some of them actually uh, you know that I, I, I kinda got up to about thirty songs um before I just I was like right I, I probably should uh start to register with IMRO, you know, the Irish Music Rights Organisation. Um, to like legit. Yeah, so when I'm performing them, I get like paid, yeah, you know, I get yeah. my royalties. Yeah. But with the, with Cheryl Crow, though, um, I just, just loved everything about her songwriting, how cool she was and her voice even like, like sometimes when I sing, some people would say, God, you can tell you like you like her. But I guess like, I'm not trying to imitate, but when you're influenced so much by yeah. someone, you kind of like the, the, her little licks and all that that she does. Um, and I just even love... Like I still do it as part of my one of my favorite songs to cover is um, her cover. So it was a cover of a cover, but her version of Sweet Child of Mine. Wow. I love Gosh, that I cover. I have that in years. Yes. Amazing oh, version. I'm actually looking forward to I'm going to perform at a gig in a, a few weeks and I'm going to do that, that version of it because <laughs> I just think it's so brilliant. With the album, this my favorite track on it. I don't know. but I'll ask you yours now, but the book for me, I know everyone, I suppose, um, if it makes you happy, beautiful song. But the book, uh, I think I, I prefer her voice, I think, on the more ballady, slower ones. I think you mm. get the best out of her voice. And I was going to ask mm. you then, at this formative age in your own craft of songwriting, was there ever a danger that, as you just kind of maybe hinted at there, that you'd be almost too influenced, say even, you know, you're a huge Madonna fan and then you're into Sheryl Crow, that these would kind of mm. coalesce and you'd be kind of writing as them instead of trying to find your own voice? Or were you very conscious of that even at that young age that you needed to yeah. kind of plough your own furrow? Well, I think this was the great thing about writing your own songs. Mm. I think as a songwriter, you, can, you can't really avoid or be, try and be anyone else because there are these original ideas and lyrics and melodies that are coming into your own head. So you're not actually, you just will have the influence of the style maybe that they're, that they're in. But um, I've always had my own sound that is still in my music today you know if you if you strip any song back no matter what song it is you could like cover any song you'll you'll sound like yourself because you can't that's all you can do is do your version of it so um even when i listen back to the very first song that i wrote 
like it's still very much today the kind of style and the way I write like I always write like a true country song which has like it's it's um they're quite heartfelt lyrics there's emotion in there there's a story you know there's always a story in my music especially and, with country music you have to, I mean that's what the yeah. heart and soul of country is the story comes first really doesn't it yeah and I think there was a lot of, of that in, in Cheryl Crow's music too. She she always told a story. I love her her song Home. You know that one then? Oh, that's probably where you can hear that yeah, yeah, more yeah. vulnerability in her in her um her vocal as well. But it's just so beautiful. And she's very honest. It's a quite a powerful record in smut. She takes on a lot of very heavy topics here. Like there's abortion, there's gun control. I think she's talking about the war in Bosnia at one stage. Like she doesn't hold back here. She really, I think, has found her own voice there as a part of she was mm. with a collective beforehand and that kind of ended quite messily. I don't know if you know the story there, but she went on David Letterman mm. and it was the Tuesday Night Music Club was the group that she was with and they all kind of collectively uh, wrote the songs. And then he asked her on the Letterman show about the song Leaving Las Vegas and he said, is it mm. autobiographical? She goes, yeah, yeah, it's about my life and then my experiences in Vegas. And one of the guys in the band was listening and it was actually his story. He had written it uh, oh, right. about a book that his friend had written. And he, a few of the band members had seen this, her claiming that song, and uh, they were not happy. So that kind of caused the dissolution or the breakup of the band she was with originally. So they all reacted really badly to oh, her. No. Yeah, calling, like, of all places on David Letterman, as if she wasn't going to be seen uh, claiming that I know, yeah, you can't do that. <laughs> but <laughs> I, what I love about it, the songs as well, like say, like a change will do you good. Yeah. And every day is a winding road. And if it makes you happy and all that, I just love the, the power in the choruses, yeah. you know, yeah. that they're like, just no matter what she's singing about, because there's a lot of, of the lyrics that are just like, sort of don't really make sense in places. They obviously did to her when she was writing them, because like, I still can't figure some I think of them she, out. Yeah, she just seems to go into a stream of consciousness where just whatever yeah. comes into her head. She name checks a lot of brands and for some yeah. reason, she <laughs> yeah. seems to be, I don't know whether she's been paid or what, but uh, I know, but then in the chorus, yeah, she just kind of just goes like straight for like yeah. the mainstream then and it's like, I know what I'm singing. This song is about this, like a change will do you good. And they're and very singable, like, aren't they? And I can't sing, yeah. you can, but you can, <laughs> you know, even if someone like me of my limited abilities, whenever a Sheryl Crow song comes out, you can always just get get close to it enough to feel that you're making some kind of fist of it. You know, interestingly enough as well, that Cheryl Crow, she sang a lot of jingles for ads. You mentioned jingles earlier. Mm. And she used to write your own little jingles, but she wrote, as a very young artist, she wrote jingles for, and sang jingles, I should say, for McDonald's and Toyota. And she used to make yeah. a lot of money. And she was a backing singer then for Michael Jackson. Yeah. I didn't know, I know. that until recently. Yeah. I have a few things in common with her, actually, is to do jingles. Say, didn't, yeah. yeah, didn't get paid by McDonald's or anything no. for them. Super um, nice, but I, <laughs> yeah, I did, I did backing vocals for Brian Kennedy in the Eurovision yes. in 2006. So How was that experience? <laughs> I only learned that in the last couple of days that she went to the Eurovision. You came 10th. Became tenth, yeah. yeah. So we had to qualify through. We had to get through the semi-finals to uh, to to get through to the finals, and what it was an amazing experience. Your, where was it on that time? Um, that was in two thousand and six in Athens. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So um, Una, that brings us beautifully to our third choice in your recorded history. Another very strong female artist. Great mm-hmm. to see it. What and who is it? I still, I still there, have to see there you here. Is my friend, it's Shania, Shania Twain. Shania Twain. Yes, I know. I saw. I, I heard. I listened to your yeah. chat with Shania Twain. I absolutely adore Shania Twain. This is the first time I've had somebody pick an album by a previous guest on the podcast. So yeah, I'm just oh. wait for someone to pick one of your records then. Oh, we'll go full circle. <laughs> <laughs> she, yeah, Shania Twain is an icon. She's like a legend. 
I loved all her music, like the, you know, the the first come on over mm. and with, with Man, I Feel Like a Woman, that don't impress me much. It's still the one. But this album, uh, Up, w- Up mm. which had like a few different versions. I had the international version, which is more the, the pop version of it. Um, it just brought me to that time in 2000 and Jeez. early noughties anyway. It was 2000, 2003. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that was the time where I was kind of make or break for me. Where am I going to stay in university or, or am I going to pursue the music? And it's when I decided I actually went to see her, which will be 23, actually exactly 23, no, 20 years ago. Wow. So it was 2003 when she played in Kilkenny. And I had this album at the time. And I remember like being on holiday and just, you know, when I had the little, uh, it was a mini disc player or a, That's right, yeah. whatever. Yeah. Um, and I had, I had the headphones in by the pool and I was just listening to this album over and over and over and over. And, there was one song on there called uh, "Na," and whatever lyric in it, it was not. It sounds nothing like the song I wrote. I wrote a song called "Rusty, Dusty, and Musty" at the time, <laughs> and um, and yeah, and and because I was there was a, a lyric in it saying, um, "It's been so long, and there ain't nothing wrong with the line." So she's like waiting for this lad that has has left, and he's not coming back. And then I wrote my my version of that was Rusty Dusty and Musty sitting on the shelf wow. waiting for you. Yeah, it was a funny song. But actually that same song, funny, I joined, as I said, was talking about Imro earlier on. To register for Imro, you have to, one of the requirements was to get your song played on radio. So I sent the song Rusty Dusty and Musty into Tip FM, my local station. Yeah, yeah. And I just said, can you please just give it a spin? Because then that will, that, that will qualify me to register so I can register all my works, all these songs I'd written in my teens, you know, and uh, and then they, they played it. Mm-hmm. And next thing they played it again. And then I was hearing people going, I heard you on the radio the other day. And I was like, oh, really? Yeah. So they, I think that they B listed it first and then it, it, they moved it up to a, oh. a playlist. And it was being played nearly every on the hour, every hour, of, like How for, that for a couple then, of months. Hearing your song on, on the radio. It was, I, I, I know it's still surreal to this day yeah. to hear your song on the radio, you know, but like and that was back when I was, you know, 20. 21 or 22 and hearing my song on the radio I was just like this is like this must be a sign that in any was that, was that the, the tipping music. point then for you to go okay look because you you left college you went to study teaching and nursing or nursing and teaching yes and then you that's were right. in around 23 yeah. and you went look did you speak to your parents about it then your decision or was it something you just went, yeah look you, you didn't ask them you told them more so what no they fully thought? supported me on it because they saw me struggling in university because I always had the music in the back of my head like I was playing with the lads in Unreal the, the band I was in at weekends and coming back and writing and staring out the window like dreaming about what I really wanted to do and having no like I was a good student in school but I just couldn't apply myself fully to to university because I I knew that all I wanted to do was literally like Cheryl uh, all I want to do is sing (laughs) and um, and actually with the song I wrote when I was 15 Radio of My Sleep that I spoke about earlier on I entered that into the uh, Glinsk Song Contest the National Song Contest it ran for for years and years and I actually won that song contest in 2004 You won it twice did you? Yeah, and then I went back two years later yeah. with the song um, that I co-wrote with the, with a boyfriend I had at the time, and it was called "Every Melody," the song, and that won in two thousand and six. and And he never bothered turning up for the the performance, but I still won it without him. So it's like, good you know you. what, women, go, yeah, that's, exactly. That, that's your early <laughs> sign right there, Una. Yeah. yeah. So that was two thousand and six, and the same year, then I went and backed. Uh, Brian Kennedy uh, was one of the three backing singers for Eurovision. 
Um, so that's where it all kind of started happening. But through the, throughout those years from the early noughties, like with Shania's album and um, that I was singing in, in pubs and clubs all around the country, that sort of was my um, apprenticeship in Not music. Not too similar to her own start in the business as well. A lot of parallels there that she was, well, she started at eight singing. Oh. Yeah, she started at eight yeah. singing in local bars. An incredible story, actually, when I was talking to her, that mm. her mother would get her out of bed, essentially, and pack her into the car. They'd drive to a local, whatever the equivalent, I suppose it was a late bar or a saloon in a rural part mm. of Canada. So you can imagine, at 12 at night, the crowds are fairly well on, this eight-year-old child being brought up onto the stage and sing in front of all these drunken, leery customers. You know, it was, an, it was a real baptism, deep-end introduction into a very tough business. And I, I think, you know, it obviously stood to her over time. She's a very lovely lady now when I spoke to her, but tough, mm. steely character. And I'm just getting the sense from you there that even at a young age, how I suppose you have to be so smart in this business. It's notoriously very ruthless mm. and merciless business if you don't have your wits about you. But even from what you're saying there about your IMRO, you know, application for Imra, that you were very, very aware of the business side of things. Was that always something that, you know, maybe even your uncle Declan made, might have spoken to you about? or? <laughs> yeah, Declan was uh, like great. Like I always see him as being my, um, so like a mentor in music. Mm. Uh, he really encouraged my songwriting. As soon as he heard that I was writing songs and when he listened to them, he actually thought they were quite good. He was like, no, this is this is something, you have something here now with this, with this writing. These are, these are very good songs. Actually, one of the songs that I wrote in my early teens as well, I released not that long ago called This Is Your Life. Like I just did a revived version of it. Yeah. Very different to the the way it was written originally, but um, the sentiment was still there. Um, but he was, I think that it was the songwriting that he really, really was impressed by and really encouraged. Um, but he did also say, don't go into this industry. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's so tough. It is. Even though he's still doing it in his 60s, he's still going strong. He just like still out there gigging loves four it. or five nights a week. Yeah. You know, but he would have come through in even tougher times. If you think about it, the 60s, 70s, when there was very mm. little protection of artists and the notorious show band era when venue owners would be, you know, tough characters as well in themselves and getting paid and all the rest. So I suppose he's been through it. So that protectiveness that he would have felt towards you, I suppose, came from a very hard-learned mm. experiences from his own career. Definitely, yeah. And no, then, he was he was he was wise to, to like to like sort of prepare yeah. me for it as well and not to, to, to know going to this with your eyes open. Especially as a woman, if you don't mind me saying, because I suppose mm. you know you're on your own at that time, but you weren't on your own for long because two thousand and seven, very fateful and uh, significant year in your past, of course, because you made the decision then to pack your bags and go to the Yeah. The, I actually the remember writing a song yeah, I wrote a song called, um, oh, I can't remember what the, what, the, what the title was, but I just remember it being something like, you know, like, why is it taking so long? Or yeah. is this ever kind of something about being so disheartened? And because I just feel when I was gigging around the country, although it wasn't a great experience, it's like, where am I going with this? Like, is it ever going to happen? And there was just wasn't very that many opportunities. Doing the Eurovision was an incredible opportunity. And having those one of those couple of song contests really gave me the encouragement. But I just didn't really know exactly where I was going with it. So... I, I looked up auditions and found an audition looking for um, looking for a singer for, for a girl band. Yeah, yeah. Now I had auditions for bands. For yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I had audition. The thing is, I, 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 you know, I was turned down plenty of times before that. So it wasn't yeah, as yeah. if I just was very lucky. Just and just straight in, yeah. Yeah, I, had, I prepared myself for it because I did audition for the Irish pop stars. I auditioned for other, 
other talent competitions and didn't get through. So, but it never put me off because I said to myself, do you know what? I'm not, probably not ready yet. I'm not like I, I can do can do better than this. And that's why I think going out there, performing and gigging in front of all sorts of audiences, like you said, Shania did it very, very young. Yeah. I was a bit older when I did it, but like, yeah, still, yeah. early 20s. Toughens you front, up. Toughens you up singing in front of these lads and, girl, and women, very drunk, dancing around the place, shouting stuff up at you, spilling their beer into your uh, into your PA system and all that, having to deal with all of that. And I was actually going around at the time on my own. My parents used to come with me and help me set up my my speakers and my my mixing desk and I had a, like a little set of lights that I would have at the front to light me up on the stage. And then I had a CD of five original songs, my EP, and I used to sell that at the end of, of the gigs for a, for a few extra a euro, uh, a fiver, I used to sell that for. But um, but I had like, yeah, so I had done all that and had the, the years of experience. So when I went over and flew over to audition for the for the Saturdays, um, I, to be honest, I didn't know what I was letting myself in for. I, I wasn't aware that it was going to become the success that it did. I just was like, this is an audition. If it doesn't happen, I'll go, I'll keep going, you know. But I was lucky to be well, in the right place at the right time. And were you prepared then? You were fully aware, of course, of what, I, mean, I don't think people really appreciate. I've had some experience of this, not, not personally, but working in Today FM, seeing bands like the Saturdays or Westlife or Boyzone and Girls Aloud coming in and out. How hard mm. a job and the amount of work that the performers have to endure and put in mm. to maintain the success of a, of a group like that. Were you prepared for that? Or oh, I loved every minute of loved it. every minute of it, yeah. I absolutely loved it. Now, to be honest, there isn't, like you said, the amount of work and travelling and hours yeah. that goes into it, but the time on stage is just so much less. You know, you're these this artist, a singer, or, but your time on stage is tiny and the rest is all, all the hard work that goes on with the, the travelling, the promoting, the photo shoots we were doing at the time, um, interviews, um, you know, we did a lot of charity work as well. And we were just constantly on the go, just out. We were never at home. Like we were just always. But the great thing about it is that we had each other, you know, and I think when you're young as well and you're out in in this industry, I think that is that really protected us. The fact that we were all in it together, like there was five, five girls, you know, so we all kept each other sane, course, you know, yeah. that's what I think. We're always so supportive of each other and had that friendship too and got to share that experience with each other as opposed to being a solo artist. And that's why I think I'm glad that I had that and that I got to experience it with the girls too. Um, are you in um, contact with the girls much these days or? Yeah, yeah, like not, don't see them as much as like, obviously yeah. I did, but they're all doing so, I'm so proud of them all. Like they've all gone on to do such great things. And, um, and we do keep in touch. We have our WhatsApp group and, and is try and hang out I when have we to can. ask the question, I suppose, Zuna, is there any hint at all of a reforming of the Saturdays at any stage? Oh, I don't know, to be honest. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure. Like, there hasn't yeah. been any chats about it. Like, I, I reckon one day, fingers crossed, we know. will. Let's just... Yeah, never say never. Never say um, never. So that, you yeah. know, that must have been an incredible experience. And then, you know, you, you've returned home. I suppose that brings us rather beautifully to your most recent single, uh, Walk Away, which I loved. Uh, we listened to it last night and again this morning. Um, to go back mm. to Shania a little bit, just before we talk about this, mm. I can hear a lot of Shania in this. Mm. Obviously, I saw a lot of Shania in the outfit that you picked for Pride. She was there. Oh, with, yeah, I was channeling my inner inner yeah. Shania there. Her <laughs> new that? album, The Queen of Me. I was like, oh, The Queen of Me is coming out. It's so good, isn't it? The new album. Yeah. Oh, her new album. I love it's I so just good. love it. It's, it's amazing. Yeah. And. I just think her iconic look, I was like, I have to go for that because I did, I was out for the pride party. I wore the colours, yeah. um, you know, the pride flag. 
also for the Saturdays because we were very colourful too. And uh, and then I did a costume change and came out again and I sang Shania Twain, um, Man, I Feel Like a Woman. Yeah. And, and and then I did my own song as well. So Walk Away, um, which is in the same kind of vein of, of, of music, I guess. Yeah, it is. You know, so it's like a really lovely kind of vibrant pop, but it's a certain, obviously, the melancholy of the countryside of it. It's something that Shania spoke about with the release of Up. There's 19 tracks on this album. I didn't realise there was there's 19 songs on Up. It's, it's, an, it's mm. almost a double album, but she's so prolific in her writing that she has, has said that it just kind of comes, like similar to yourself, it just comes into her heart or her head and mm. flows through her arm, out the pen, onto the paper. You know, she just cannot stop it sometimes. And she said something which I found interesting, that she used to write so many songs and any song that she wrote that she looked down on and read the lyrics to that felt in any way reflective of what she was going through or anything that was in any way could be read as personal to her, she'd ball it up and throw it in the bin. And she wouldn't even show who her husband and producer at the time, obviously not anymore, but Mutt Lang, mm. that every song that she wanted on the album could not be brought or traced back to her as such, which I found interesting that I think that's mm. part of her ability or part of her uh, appeal really is that the songs are so universal that she keeps it quite general. Yeah. And, you know, these are subjects and topics that everyone can relate to. But if you don't mind me asking with Walk Away, this felt a little bit more personal to you than maybe previous Releases oh no me. all my music is personal yeah, like yeah. right from the first song I wrote about my grandfather I miss you and then you in every song always everything I have and I always I always bear in mind that this this music is 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 a baby that you put out into the world so it's then everybody's and I I always like to, to listen to a song and think that's my song oh I love this I, f- I feel like this is mine that's how, how music should should speak to you that you feel you can adopt all the anyone's song it, it depends on your mood obviously you know but but anyone with this with this particular song, um, it's just for anyone that's in a situation, whether it's a work situation, a friendship situation, a relationship that you just want to like, it's always best to walk away. Actually, a song that I wrote when I was a teenager was walk away in pain rather than to stay around in shame. Oh, and it's kind of like a new version of that. So where it's like, an walk update. away. It's an update on that. Yeah, just just walk away. And uh, and then I have a bit of an obsession with shoes. Oh, you have your own so, shoe yeah, line, I, of course. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I have my own shoe line. And I said, I want to write something I had it in my head that I wanted to write something with loads of shoe analogies in it and walking analogies and boots and everything. And I literally yeah. woke up with the melody in my head. Um, the, the high, the high heel shoes and my knee high boots was like that. That was in my head. And I, I've, it happens to me a lot. Actually, music comes into my head when I wake that up. It happened to you just even when yeah. you're like. In I've the got car. this morning, actually. There was a new one. Just the car as well. Yeah. The, well, this morning was. This morning it was in. It was, I woke up with this song in my head. So I hummed it in um, a, a new one. But um, yeah, I had that. I had that in my head, and uh, actually, yeah, there was another one that I had that was in the car. I remember years ago called "Stay My Love," which was the first single off my my first solo album after the Saturdays. And I remember that that melody came into my head when I was closing my eyes and I was very tired and I was on the way to the airport at the, t- at the time. I was doing the Voice of Ireland and I was flying over and just like with the mo- I don't know if it's a motion of the wheels or something. I could hear a bass and if, and if I could hear the bass, no, and the, the and the just the, the whole melody of the chorus came into my head. So I hummed that into my phone in the airport. <laughs> and it just came to so, you like that, just from inspired yeah. by various rhythms of life. Yeah. And then, then that's amazing. Yeah. So the, but, but this one, that, that melody of the chorus came into my head and the, and the, the lyrics, high heel shoes, knee high boots and walk away. Those, they, those were the three. Mm. So I went into a co-writing session on Zoom, actually, mm-hmm. with my friend who I wrote Strangers, which was a very personal song about my, um, my breakup from my, my um, marriage, actually. Yeah. And, um, 
So yeah, I do write about personal stuff. And I said to Alex, I said, right, have this, have this much of high heel shoes, knee high boots and walk away. So then he sent me back a, a track, a backing track to the melody that I sent. And then we jumped on Zoom and then an amazing singer songwriter, um, Megan O'Neill, um, she, she came in on it. And I said to her, I was like, yeah, like she said, I'm really, I love this. Uh, so I wanted to write all about like shoes and boots. And, and then we just, in a couple of hours, we wrote the song. So um, that's actually where the, the inspiration from the song came from. Wow. Yeah, well, that's how it came track. about. I have to say, I've been listening to it all morning. It's a real bop. And Thank I, you. I love that kind of flavor. There's anything that has a bit of country in it will always get me. I'm a bit of country pop rock. Yeah. Because there's a good guitar solo in there as well. And also the video, like we were saying, we love the 90s. It's a real like like Coyote Ugly. I was going to say, the film? exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's a real Coyote Ugly vibe. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a bit obsessed with it with the 90s. You can tell. I think everyone is these days. Before <laughs> we go, just speaking of social media, you know, getting into the living your life in the public eye as a musician and a media personality as such, you know, which you're judging and all your other projects and that has that become a tougher existence in more recent years that when you started with Saturdays, have you noticed maybe and maybe even a, a downturn in the negative side of that relationship that you have with the press that trying to keep your private and public life separate to trying to keep that balance and walk that very thin line between the two? Has that become increasingly tough, have you found? Yeah, that was kind of different in the Saturdays. There was like, we, there wasn't as much social media around then. There was That's Twitter. Yeah, yeah. There wasn't Instagram. And there wasn't, like people weren't really, any press that would get out there or that would be uh, photos that a paparazzi would take. Mm. So they were everywhere. They used to like follow us around and you come out, like they used to stalk my house like when I had my first two children, like they used to be parked outside. So they wanted to get the first picture of me out walking the child. <laughs> you know what I mean? The baby. Was that intimidating um, or was it just part of the job? Really, you just put it down oh, it was horrible. Yeah. yeah. No, it's not never nice. And even when they come up with their cameras, like to get you walking out of a, a nightclub with your eyes bleary mm -hmm. or or to try and get a camera up your skirt and things like that it was it was it was really, really nasty. Like that wasn't a great time for it either. But there's not so much paparazzi now because everyone is they have um, the press of instant access to your life for for whatever you post on your your social media. So and they have yeah, the I guess you just well have to be careful. They have the public working for them essentially now because everyone has a camera phone. Yeah, they, all they, they have, have to do is yeah. take a photograph of you. You know. Yeah, they don't employ the paparazzi to go out and get pictures because they know that a lot of people just put their own up just and they just take them. So they have they have instant access to whatever you decide to put up on social media. So you kind of have to be careful, I guess, you know, what you what you post. Yeah, um, but like they don't they just run with things, whatever they want as well. It's yeah, it's it's not easy, but no, yeah, it can't be. But, you know, it's all about the music, really. And you work hard for your kids and work hard for yourself and for your career. And the new single is great. That's what really matters. And that's Thank what you. the fans want to hear. So what's next for Una Healy? After that gig I did for Pride last week, because um, I hadn't actually performed the Saturday songs uh -oh. since with the girls nine years ago, you know. That's the first um, so time it was, in nine years, wow. Yeah, first time. And I'd never performed them on my own. So it was very daunting. But luckily I had dancers on stage with me. I had my friend Emma Daly, who's a back and vocalist with me. And and the crowd were very supportive and they knew the song. So that made it easy for me. Um but um, just being on stage again like that and performing music that I love, I just really want to get out doing more more yeah. gigs and and uh, and just getting out performing. It's my passion. It's, it's the reason I'm in this entertainment industry in the first place, you know, exactly. and that's what I want to get back to more. I just want to... Is it easy to forget or get distracted with all the noise that, you know... Yeah, it can be distracting. It just gets away mm. from the, the, the essence of when you were 13 while you picked up the guitar in the first place. Yeah, that's just my true 
I think my calling is to produce music, yeah. write music. But I just want to keep, yeah, keep going with the music and let the, the music do the talking, you know. Um, so I'm sure there's, it, there's lots yeah. of songs in me, I can tell you. No doubt. You know, sometimes it takes like lots of things to happen to you in life to write this, this music. It's uh it's, it's a kind of blessing in disguise. So I've got lots of material to write about. You have a lot of material to write about. I have no doubt about it. And we look forward to hearing <laughs> the results of those songwriting sessions. Una Healy, listen, it's been a genuine pleasure. Three great choices for recorded history. First time we've had Madonna on, rather remarkably. But thank you so much <laughs> for taking the time to share your recorded history. Una Healy. So there she goes, riding off into the Tipperary sunset of the recorded history of the utterly fabulous Una Healy. We actually ended up chatting off mic for ages after we'd finished recording just about our kids and life in general. And I genuinely could have sat there for hours with her. Anyway, I really hope you enjoyed our trip through Una's recorded history and that you'll join me next week and indeed every Sunday after that. If you want to check out any of Una's choices or indeed anything at all that might tickle your eardrums, I would absolutely love it if you did so by way of our splendid sponsors at therecordhub.com. Without them, this podcast would just be a figment of my overactive imagination. Next week, we're hearing from another Irish pop diva, the amazing Amy. I've been Ed Smith. This has been Recorded History. Now, all you have to do is hit the old subscribe button and become a weekly listener. But above all that, subscribe to yourself. Yes, you're all complete Shania's in your own fabulous way. Good luck. Go Loud presents Recorded History. Hosted, produced and researched by me, Ed Smith, at Go Loud Studios. The show was created and executive produced for Go Loud by D. Ready. Our series is proudly supported by TheRecordHub.com, your local Irish and online record store.